that you should be praying for all the saints. And the Apostle Paul requested that you pray for him. Now, when I'm talking to you, you obviously don't need to pray for Paul. He's dead. He's not doing anything, all right? But he was requested of the Colossian church that they would pray for him, that a door would be open for the word, right? And that he would be able to speak God's word with boldness and clarity as it ought to be spoke. So, you know, that's a part that you have to play. Uh, big picture, when we're talking about uh, worldwide evangelism and worldwide missions, it's a powerful thing to know that even the Apostle Paul needed the church to pray. He didn't ask them to pray so they'd feel better about themselves. He didn't ask them to pray so that they'd feel like they're participating. He asked them to pray because he needed them to pray, right? So let's settle that right away. He asked them to pray because he needed them to pray. That means there are no superstars in Christianity that don't need someone praying for them, right? There, there's nobody there that's just so powerful that, you know what, I don't need the rest of the body of Christ. Let me do this. I'll take on, I'll take on the army of hell. I'll take on the world by myself. No, we need each other. And if Paul can say, pray for me, then I think everybody who's in any position can say, I need the prayers of the saints on my behalf, that a door would be open for the word, that I'd be able to speak clearly and plainly as I ought to speak with boldness. So that's the part that we have to play in, you know, say when someone comes and is, is doing a, a, a massive trip somewhere and, and, and thousands are coming to the Lord. Well, you played a part through prayer. That's, that's important. But now this next verse brings it back home right to you. There's that part that you have to play in reaching the world through your prayer, through your, through your heart being knit with those that are going out. But he says this. He doesn't just limit us to say, well, let, this, let the big shots take, you know, take their shot. Let, let's pray for them and send them out. No, he says this in verse 5. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. So now we're not talking about some big apostle going out and preaching the gospel. We're talking about us living and preaching the gospel. Now he says, conduct yourself with wisdom towards outsiders. Now first and foremost, I don't know anybody that likes to be called an outsider. It's probably not the term you should use uh, when you're talking to your, your friends. You go, you're an outsider, so you wouldn't get it. Like you're some sort of hipster that gets, you know, that understands things they don't get. But the truth of the matter is the Bible says we were all on the outside and through the blood of Jesus we were brought near, right? So he says we were outside in darkness, but now we've been transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. That's the good news of the gospel is that we all were outsiders, but Jesus died to bring those who were far off to bring them near. So when he talks about those who are far off, he's not talking about physical distance. He's talking about we were all far from God through our own rebellion, through our own distance. But Jesus came to bridge that distance, to reconcile us to God, to bring us back to God. And if he died to do that for you, then you know he wants to do that for everybody that he created. Now, the Bible says that not everybody will accept the invitation. But that doesn't stop us from, as Jesus said, going out in the highways and the byways, spreading that message, inviting people to the table. Right? Because the gospel brings us to the table. And there's nobody who's not welcome at the table. We're just invited to come and receive that, that, that invitation. You know, Jesus told some parables about this invitation. And he actually said, you know, he told a parable where uh, a king was throwing a feast and 
And uh, every time he'd invite people, people said, well, I'm too busy. I can't make it. And, uh, I got to get the crop in. You know, they made all these excuses. And so then he, he sent out invitations to the people that nobody would normally invite to a feast. He sent it out to the people nobody really wanted. They weren't the folks being invited to the Met Gala. They weren't the folks being invited to the Oscars. They weren't the folks being invited to the mayor's brunch. And these were the people that nobody really wanted to show up at the table. But the king invited them. And Jesus lived that out in his ministry. All the people that you'd expect to be at the table didn't want in. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you guys sit on the outside of the kingdom and you don't go in and then you don't let anybody else go in. You just stand at the gates keeping people out. And you see Jesus going from city to city, village to village, and he's hanging out with people that are really ruining his reputation. One of the things he gets criticized the most for is the people he eats with, the people he drinks with, the people he spends time with. They're not the kind of people you want showing up at your party if you want to keep a good reputation. But he demonstrates the gospel to us that it's not about our good work, it's about his good work. It's about receiving by faith what he's purchased for us. This is good news. And this is, I mean, when we remember that, when that's the heart of the gospel, we become inviters right? When you realize how blessed you are to be invited to that dinner, as long as you think you deserve to be at that table, then you're going to judge everybody else on whether or not they deserve to be at the table. But when we realize none of us earned a right to be at the table of God, none of us earned a right to be invited to this banquet, that, that it was because of his good work, it was because of his sacrifice that, that we we're able to come, then all of a sudden, we're really excited about the fact that we got invited and we want to spread that. We want to share that. He says, conduct yourselves with wisdom towards those who are outsiders. Making the most of every opportunity. Maybe you've studied this out, but in the original Greek, it, it could best be translated purchasing or buying back, redeeming the time. Buying back the time. And my translation translates that as making the most of every opportunity. But what he's saying is, you have an opportunity to buy back this time. This, is, this time counts. And every second counts. And every day counts. And there's going to be opportunities and there's going to be moments consistently that are presenting themselves to you as you go through life. And you shouldn't take any of those moments for granted. See, as long as we keep evangelism in these nice little boxes like, you know, we'll, we're going to have a, a concert at the park and we're going to share the gospel there and then people get saved there. Or, you know, my pastor gives an invitation after every service and maybe people will come to church. If they want to get born again, they'll come to church and they'll receive Jesus there. Or, or maybe when we go out as a group and we just decide to go out to the mall and tell people about Jesus, then that's my designated time to tell people about Jesus. We don't want to be like that. We don't want to keep God in these organized little boxes where this is the time for sharing the gospel because you wouldn't do that with anything else, right? If you're really excited that the Raptors have made it this far in the playoffs, you don't just like, and I sh maybe I shouldn't bring that up because they're playing tonight and I want you to be thinking about this, <laughs> but I'm going to take a risk. If you're really excited about that, you know, you're not just talking, you're not just waiting until it's designated raptor time one day a week that you begin to talk about the raptors. If you're excited, it comes up and you're super excited when someone's willing to listen to you about it, right? 
And that's like that with anything that you're not just interested in, anything you're excited about in your life. It's hard to keep you from talking about it. How many of you have been in situations where you've been at meals with people and you realize that you probably talk about something too much and you're holding yourself back, but you're really excited? And when someone finally throws you a bone and just goes, hey, you know, how about that? How about, how about those raptors? You know what I mean? How, what do you think about them? Then you get excited. I've been holding myself back. I can't wait to talk about this or whatever your passion is. Well, when that... that, that Life of the gospel is within us. When we don't lose that, that joy that we were invited to the table, that we were saved, that we were brought into his kingdom, that we were rescued, then it's hard to keep us from talking about it. But can you imagine how weird it would be if somebody just, every time they talked about the raptors, they went by a specific script? Like if you were going to talk to them about the raptors, they had to start with, well... Do you want to hear about the Raptors? Let me start at the beginning of the franchise at this time. And then I will, I, I will, I will go to the years where uh, Damon Stoudemire. And now I will, you know, and, and, and we just kind of take you through a script because somebody told you this is the script you have to follow if you want to tell people about the Raptors. Instantly, people would just be turned off by this, right? Because it's not real to you. What are you, a, what are you like a, a museum interactive touchpad? I mean... No, when something's real to you, it, it, it comes up in different ways. And I believe that your relationship with Jesus, as much as I believe, now listen, don't get me wrong, I think it's valuable that you should know how to present the gospel, that you should be able to lead someone to salvation through the scripture, that you should be able to teach, tell them about Jesus in a way that makes sense. I, I think it's wonderful if you know the Roman road. I think you should know that stuff. However... People are not robots, and neither are you. And if that's the only way you interact with people about Jesus is when you hit the script, let me start with Romans chapter 9. And, and they're like, okay. And then you just, I mean, if that's the only way you talk about the Lord, then what they feel like is a project rather than a person. I would feel that way. Nobody wants to feel like a project. And I, I realize we're all projects, but nobody wants to feel like they're just a stat for your Christian baseball card. I won one more person to the Lord. God cares about that person. That's a person he died for. That's a person he knew while they were in the womb. So he's got, he knows their story. He, he wants to talk to them through you. Paul said something powerful to the Corinthians. He said, uh, he said we're making our appeal to you as though God were making an appeal through us. Be reconciled to God. Like, I'm talking to you as if God were making an appeal for your soul through me. So do you think that God would make the same exact scripted appeal to everyone? Or do you think he would talk to them right where you were? Do you think Jesus might have listened before he talked? Or do you think he always just like monopolized the conversation? Do you know Jesus asked more questions than anyone else in the Bible? The man who had more answers asked more questions. Because he was after people's heart. He loved people. He loved them. He came for them, right? And so while he had the most to say, he didn't, he didn't try to just kind of like always yell at you, preach at you. He, he met people right where they were. And he loved them. And he loved them enough to tell them the truth. And he loved them enough to meet their need. And yet he loved them enough to treat them as an individual. 
And I think that there's something about this wisdom that, that Paul's talking about, which doesn't just mean be careful. When I was a kid, use wisdom was code for, don't do something stupid, Jonathan. It's my mom's line. Mom, I'm going snowboarding with my friends. Use wisdom. That meant wear a helmet. <laughs> that, that meant don't do any, don't, don't try to do a flip. Just use wisdom, right? Like, and uh, we, I don't think that was anybody's intention, but before long, use wisdom was just like, you know, be careful, Jonathan. Stop doing stupid things, right? Use wisdom. And I think that there's value in that, right? There's wisdom in that. But I think the wisdom here that he's talking about is not just saying, you know, when you're around outsiders, they want to get you. You know, outsiders are out to get you. They're trying to trap you. They're, they're trying to take away your Christian rights. They're trying to put you in prison. You know, be careful around outsiders. You can't trust a one of them. That's not what he's saying. Because if that's what he was saying, he wouldn't have said make the most of every opportunity. Right? If he was trying to tell you to be careful around outsiders, which when we hear the term outsiders, that's what we think, right? They can't be trusted. Careful around outsiders. They're trying to trap you. Listen, and he's talking to people that might have had legitimate concerns. I mean, uh, it's not that long after this that severe persecution comes upon the church. I mean, Paul himself, Christians didn't want to trust him because he had just like the week before been putting their buddies in prison. Then he shows up at church like, hey, I'm okay now. And everybody's like, don't invite him. Don't tell him where we're meeting. You know, he's, 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 he's a spy. And, and Barnabas had to vouch for him and say, he's okay. He's, he's with me, right? He's, he's genuinely a, a converted Christian. But when, he's, when, when Paul talks about this, he's not saying use wisdom around outsiders because they'll twist your words. Use wisdom around outsiders because they'll write articles about you. Use wisdom around, no, he's saying use wisdom because there's opportunities all the time. So what kind of wisdom are we talking about? You know, James said, if anybody lacks wisdom, just ask God. He'll give it. I, I think that one thing that's going to help us understand this, hold your place in Colossians 4, and I want you to turn to kind of the sister book of Colossians, which is Ephesians. They go together hand in glove. They, they really fit together and communicate a lot of the same things. So sometimes it's nice to compare them and get, get a, a bigger picture of what's being said here. But he talks about this wisdom, and I, and I think it's um, hopefully something that will shed some light on what we're reading right now. Pardon me, I just lost my place. But when he says, conduct yourself to wisdom, let's just turn to Ephesians 5 for a minute. In Ephesians 5.15, he says, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men or women, unwise people, but is wise, making the most of your time. Once again, that's in the Greek, buying back the time, redeeming the time, for the days are evil. So then don't be foolish, all right? So if you've read the Bible for any length of time, especially if you've read Proverbs, you find out that the opposite of wise is foolish, right? The opposite of a wise person is, is a fool. And the scripture in Proverbs paints a picture of a fool that's not always an uh, intellectual midget. Sometimes it's someone who has great capacity to learn but denies the existence of God, for instance. You know, Proverbs says a fool says in his heart there is no God. 
He doesn't say a fool has a really low IQ because Jesus said even the dumbest people, even the babies, God can reveal big things to them, right? Um, Paul said to the Corinthians, you know, even God wants to use those that aren't so, so mighty, not so noble, not so strong, not so wise to confound the wise. He wants to take the foolish and use them in big ways that the, the wise, this wisest of the world look at them and go, wow, that must be God. So this wisdom that we're talking about is not not saying, you know, use your head, but rather he's saying, let God lead you. This is a divine wisdom. And he says this, he says, don't, so the opposite of wisdom is foolish. He says, don't be foolish. All right, don't be foolish, okay. But have you ever had someone just give you a statement like that? Hey, don't be foolish. Don't be stupid, stupid. Have you ever had someone say when you're just fighting depression, don't be sad. Oh, you fixed me. I'm better. Thanks. Don't be sad. That was what I needed to hear. All better. You know, if I just said to you, don't be foolish, you'd be like, well, thanks. Now I just feel like a bigger fool. You didn't fix me at all. You didn't help me at all. Here's the solution to not being foolish. How do I not be foolish then? Understand what the will of the Lord is. So the way to not be foolish is to seek God's will. How do you seek his will? You seek it through his word. You seek it through prayer. God's will is revealed through his word. If if, if it's not clear in his word, like, you know, there's not a scripture that tells you you're supposed to move to Edmonton or stay in Lloydminster, but God wants to speak to you what his will is, or he'll use other people as well to speak into your life. He says, you know, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And so if we tie that with the verse before, remember, he says that we shouldn't walk as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of our time. And how do I make the most of my time? He says, I got to know what the will of God is. If I know what the will of God is, I will make the most of my time. So when we go back to Colossians, and he says, be wise around outsiders, that we can draw from that, that what he's saying is, God has something to say to these people. And the most important thing in these moments, if you're making the most of every opportunity, you have to know how to make the most of this opportunity. I'm going to be honest with you. I can just stand up here and admit to you that most of the time when an opportunity I don't expect presents itself to me, most of the time I don't automatically know what to do. I mean, there's good wisdom that you just learn through life and experience. And, and there's, when you have his word hidden in your heart and you've, 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 you've filled yourself with his word, then there's some stuff that just is obvious. But there's other things that you just don't know. You know, when Paul was going to go to a specific place, there was one time he was going to go up to Asia Minor and he was going to, uh, you know, keep going north, uh, northwest And probably eventually end up, he was going to go through Bithynia and maybe just end up in Byzantium. And there's a lot of people there and there's a lot of people to reach. But the spirit of Jesus says to him, don't go there. And and there's nothing you could study that would prepare you for that moment. Because you've been told to preach the gospel, but all of a sudden the Holy Spirit says, don't preach here. Okay. Well, that's the wisdom of God being imparted to you. The wisdom of God doesn't always make sense, but it's his wisdom. Now, I love this next part in Colossians 4. If we were to skip down, 
He says, let your speech always be with grace. All right, everybody focus on that. Let your speech always, 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 always be with grace. As though seasoned with salt, so that you will know, you know how you should respond to each person. Now, what does it mean for your speech to be with grace and seasoned with it? I mean, there's a lot. You ask uh, 10 different Christians what that means, and they might come up with 10 different answers because grace is a big topic, isn't it? It's not, it's not easily defined in every situation. I mean, it's consistent, but, you know, if I'm talking about grace that, that saved me, you know, or I'm talking about the grace to preach, or I'm talking about, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can understand that. But ultimately, throughout the Scripture, the grace of God, the grace of God is what God does through us and for us that we couldn't do ourselves, right? That's his grace. So I couldn't pay for my sin. He did it for me. The Bible says that anything we do, including preaching, including serving, including whatever you're doing for the Lord, it says do it by the grace of God, right? It says do it as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, that the multicolored, multi-shaped grace of God. So I'm preaching tonight by the grace of God. And that means that there is a supernatural, that God is, is giving me the words and the ability to speak better than I could have ever spoke on my own. And that's not talking about quality. That's talking about standing up here and having something to say that he wants to say. And that's for all of us. That's not just for the person who has a microphone. That's for everybody in every situation to say, God, I can't do this without you, but I can do all things through you, right? Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, my love abides in you, then ask whatever you want and God will do it. You know, that's, that's the grace of God, right? And so if my speech is seasoned with grace, then there's life in it. The gospel is alive to me. That grace is working through my words. That, that grace is, is coming across differently. It's, it's bringing flavor to everything. You know, I remember when I first started out preaching, I, I remember I used to try to make a point like a lawyer. You know what I mean? Make my outline, put everything in line, and my goal was to make my point and make it five times in five different ways so that you, could, you couldn't leave without saying, okay, I, I guess I have to agree with what he had to say. But when you do it that way, you know, people will get stuff out of it, but at the same time, it's a bit dry. Because it's more about your point than it is about the Spirit of God speaking through you. And when I finally just learned to just trust God with this and say, yeah, he wants me to prepare, he wants me to study, he wants me to pray before, but at the same time, he's going to speak through his word. And I would just get excited about what I was preaching. I made up my mind never to preach anything that I didn't believe. I know that sounds simple, but do you know how many people preach stuff they don't really believe? It's just they feel they need to preach it? Well, I just made up my mind. If I'm going to preach it, I better believe it. And let me tell you, when you preach what you believe, it's way more fun to preach. Way more fun. 
because you, you believe this stuff. And, and that's the same way with everything you say about God to anybody. Every conversation you have, if you are just checking off a box, I just made up my, I just, I promised God that I would share the gospel to two coworkers this month. So this is one of them. And you just awkwardly bring it up. And you just force it through. And you make them sit there. And maybe they pray a prayer just to make you go away. <laughs> but their heart hasn't changed. There's no faith there, right? I'm sorry, but, but no matter what words you make them repeat, if there's nothing in their heart, I, I think I read Romans 10 like you read Romans 10. They've got to believe in their heart. Right? Don't get so worried about it that you, you have to ask them 15 different times. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that? I mean, you could go overboard. But, you know, when you're just checking off boxes, people know that they're a box to you. And they don't like that. And there's no real life in it. But if you're willing to treat this person like a person that Jesus died for, that God wants to speak to, that doesn't mean you, you don't use the scriptures you know. It doesn't mean you don't use the gospel you've been taught. Absolutely. But when it's part of you, it doesn't come out like a script. It's God's spirit speaking to somebody's spirit. You, as Paul said, God making an appeal through me to you. Boy, that's powerful. Because you know what? One thing that people knew when they received it, if they were willing to accept it, they walked away saying, Jesus loved me. That's what the disciples said. It's what John said. He loved us to the end. They knew. He said, we've come to know and believe the love that God has for us. They believed, I'm a person to him, and I'm a person that mattered to him, and he died for me. You know, Billy Graham, uh, I remember him often saying this. This is one of the things you'd hear if you, every time he gave a crusade. At some point, he'd probably say some variation of this. If you were the only person in the world, Jesus still would have died for you. You know why he had to repeat that kind of thing? Because when people feel like a stat and disappear into a crowd, then whether I accept or believe this becomes about, well, you want more people for your church, or you want more people to vote for your candidate, or you want to just go back and tell people that this is how many people came to the Lord. But when people actually open their heart to believe that God cares about them, and if for nobody else I care about you, Suddenly, they can't deny, they can't shrug it off in the same way. Jesus came for me. Yeah, he came for the whole world, but he came for me. He says, if, if my speech is with grace, it'll be seasoned with salt. Have you ever noticed that salt doesn't make everything taste the same? It's quite the opposite. You know, there's some spices that whatever you put them on, it just dominates, right? Like, Everything just tastes the same when that spice is on there. My dad used to have this Cajun Tony Shacher seasoning. He put it on everything. Breakfast, lunch, supper, didn't matter. Eggs in the mornings, Tony Shacher. Right, I mean, he was an Arkansas boy who grew up part of his life in Louisiana, so he came by it honestly, but, you know, I mean, pretty high sodium, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> stick that thing on everything. Check it, I mean, I remember when mom would go away, Dad could make some dishes amazingly well. 
But then he also was very frugal when it came to food, and he always wanted to clear out the freezer and clear out the fridge. And so dad would make one meal. If mom went away on a trip to speak at a conference or something, me and, me and Liberty, we'd wait for dad to make us our food, and he'd come up and he'd call us up like half an hour before the food was ready, and we'd sit at the table waiting. And, and dad was awesome to be around. We loved our time with him. But the one thing was, when he was making a meal, he saw it as a personal achievement to clear out the fridge, right? Finally, somebody cares enough to clear out the fridge. So he'd take all the leftovers, and he used a phrase that he called crisping it up. <laughs> and that means everything could be put under the broiler and crisped up, even stuff that never should have been crispy ever in its life. And how he breathed fresh life and everything was crisping it up, which really tasted burnt to us, and smothering it with Tony Shashers. Mmm, Dad. That's the best lasagna I've ever had. Burnt and Cajun tasting, just like it's supposed to be. Just like a mama used to make, right? Like, mmm. Dad would do that. Man, you just crisp everything up. Dad, I don't need it crisped up. Can we use the microwave, Dad? No, dry out in the microwave. Let's put it under the broiler, crisp it up. <laughs> Tony Shashere makes everything good. So everything just has this Tony Shashere char flavor to it. It's blackened everything, right? True Cajun. Everything's just blackened and salty. But salt itself is not, is not something that makes everything taste alike, it actually brings out the flavor and everything. If you've heard a chef talk about salt, it's really cool how they talk about it. Because here's one thing they'll say. They say that salt is one of those things that actually brings out the other flavors. So when you put salt in something, you don't, sometimes you don't even taste the salt so much as you taste the other flavors better. Because it's a flavor enhancer. And so we're all very different. And God made us different. And there are people that are going to listen to you that may never listen to me. But the salt of the Holy Spirit and the salt of his grace and the salt of his love, it doesn't make us all sound like robots or clones, but rather it brings life to everything we say. All of a sudden, what God has put in you comes out and comes alive. Every conversation Listen, if, if I'm just, if I treat you like a stat, then I awkwardly try to make every conversation the one conversation I'm trying to get you to. But if my speech, if everything I say is seasoned with that life of God, that grace of God, then even conversations that don't even seem to directly be about the gospel are going to carry his light and are going to bring people closer to him. So that when the time comes to be straight, and truthful, I mean, we should always be truthful. When the time comes to present the gospel in a clear manner, the Holy Spirit's already been working. Or maybe you've already presented the gospel, and it's been thrown back in your face and rejected. And people say, I don't need that. And yet, every time you talk to them, something's different about you. The Holy Spirit will use every conversation to draw people's hearts to him. If I say no opportunity that comes across my way is a wasted one, I'm going to redeem every moment. It doesn't mean you have to get out your gospel track every time you're ordering something at Burger King. If you're ordering something at Burger King, you may need a gospel track. 
just joking. I'm just joking. God bless them. If you're listening, Burger King people, we love you. Just trying to be funny, I guess. But, you know, it, it doesn't mean that you always bring up the gospel track. However, you're recognizing this is a moment God set up. Every moment is a moment he can use. And you don't have to decide how he uses it. That's the wisdom part, right? If I'm supposed to treat every conversation the same, I don't need wisdom. I just need to learn a script like, like any robot. But if I know that God has, God can speak through me in many different ways, and he, he loves that person enough to, to, to meet them where they are, then the wisdom I'm asking for is, God, I don't know how to, I don't know what to say right now. I don't know how I'm supposed to approach this. But you know, and I'm listening, and I'm speaking, and use me. And so maybe, maybe that one conversation, you're not making the waitress sit down and giving a 20-minute discussion. Maybe you're just treating that person with dignity and honor and respect and the love of God, and you're leaving them a good tip, and you're saying, God bless you, and maybe that sticks. And maybe the next person that comes along is part of God's plan to speak to them further, and you're leaving that up to God. That's not a cop-out. It's not a cop-out, because we should be preaching the gospel at all times. But it's rather trusting God with somebody and with your own conversations and saying every moment I have is an opportunity for him. I'm not going to waste any. I'm, I'm here for a reason. I'm at this tire shop for a reason. So God, what's your reason for me being here? To change your tires. Okay, all right. <laughs> Anything else? <laughs> but if you're always expecting that God will use any moment, then you're always listening. You're always ready. And the Bible says the wisdom that comes from above is peaceable, it's gentle, it's full of righteousness and good fruits. That, that when his wisdom is there, good things come from it. So seek his wisdom. What's his wisdom? It's his will, right? Don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. How will I know what the will of the Lord is if I never listen? How will I know what the will of the Lord is if I never ask? If I'm asking about every moment, it's, it's that I'm treating every moment as valuable. He says here, you'll know how you should respond to each person. See, if I was supposed to respond to everybody the same, then I wouldn't have to know how to respond to each person. I would just have to know the, uh, the Christian response. You know, have you ever had a conversation with a Jehovah Witness at your door? They've got, a, they've got an answer for everything, but it's, it's a... It's a studied answer, right? It's a pre-programmed, if they say this, say this, say this, say this. Well, that's all things you can memorize. God doesn't want to do it that way. He wants you to be a vessel of his appeal. That you're not just going, okay, all right, I have an answer for that because I read a book about every answer to every question. It's not wrong to study those things, but that can't be all, your whole playbook. You have got to listen to God in the moment. Because God loves that person. The Holy Spirit loves them more than you love them. He wants them more than you want them. So don't be afraid to just trust God and understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, I was talking about conversations, but it's in so many other ways. Every moment you have is an opportunity to buy back that time and use it for the kingdom of God. We have a very short time here on the earth, don't we? Really short time. In, the, in light of eternity, this is like that. Let's make the most of it. Let's use it for what it is. Let's squeeze the juice out of it. Let's, 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 let's do something that for the rest of eternity we can go, 
I'm glad I used that short time I had. In that life, I used it to the best of my ability. I let God use me. I sought his will. I made the most. I bought back the time. I made the most of every opportunity. And I tell you what, when you sow towards eternity, you reap the harvest of eternity. So listen, don't worry. Don't be so afraid. Like, I don't want you to hear this and go, every moment matters. Suddenly, every moment has intense pressure. Suddenly, I'm scared. No, come on. You know, Jesus said, who's the servant that got the praise? When he gave out the talents, the people that got his, his out-of-boy well done were the ones that invested it. The, one, the only guy that got in trouble is the guy that was so afraid of doing the wrong thing that he buried it in the ground. So let me just tell you, here's how you make the most of every opportunity. Just do something and seek God about it, but do something. Don't be so afraid that you're going to miss God that you never do anything for God. Right? There's a, a, a former Anglican uh, rector who was, uh, for many years, the, um, known as the, the Bishop of Baghdad. He was the, uh, stationed in Iraq and um, loved those people. Uh, when ISIS came to his village, he was the last to flee. He stayed with them. and um, Fearless guy. And uh, ministered a lot in my sister and brother-in-law's church. And I watched one of his sermons, and you just, you know, some people, you just, you just see Jesus all over them when they talk. It's just, you feel love immediately. He, he sat up there. He had some physical uh, disabilities that where he couldn't walk around and pace. So he just sat there and just poured out the heart of God. And he said something at the end. He said, he said, I, I, you know, he's closing up, and he says, don't take care, take risk. And that's how he left them. Don't take care, take risk. Trust God. I think when you really trust God, it'll make you fearless and brave, courageous in ways you never would have been otherwise. Introverts and extroverts, God uses them both. But just because you're an introvert, you don't have to be shy. You can be a bold introvert. And you can be a reasonable extrovert. (laughs) Thank God. Let's stand up. Lord, we love you.